welcome to the Where Does It Come From podcast. I'm Jo Salter, your podcast host and founder of Where Does It Come From, a social enterprise focusing on kind clothes that tell tales. In this podcast, I'll be chatting with amazing people who've dedicated themselves to making our world a better place through business, social enterprise, campaigning and much more. In this episode, I'm chatting with Claire O'Sullivan and Kitty Wilson-Brown of Contemporary Hempery who have recently harvested their first crop of industrial hemp in Suffolk, UK. Claire is a studio jeweller with a BA in silversmithing and jewellery. Claire has a master's degree in entrepreneurship for creative practice and has a special interest in the place where creativity and commerce meet. She lives and works in North Suffolk and is co-founder with Kitty Wilson-Brown of Contemporary Hempery. Kitty is a textile artist. She graduated with a BA in textile design from Chelsea College of Art, UAL, in July 2021. In her second year, she was nominated and studied at Tama Art University in Japan, where she became fixated with weaving. She thrives in working with colour and low-impact materials and processes. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Where Does It Come From podcast. This is the first episode from series two and I'm really excited to have two very special guests with me, Kitty Wilson-Brown and Claire O'Sullivan, who have started up Contemporary Hempery and they're all about growing hemp for fibre in the UK. So first of all, ladies, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank Thank you for having us. Absolute pleasure. Um, so I think the main thing is to tell people about yourself. Who wants to go first? Should I go first? Kitty. <laughs> Kitty, tell us about your background and what gave you the idea to start growing and processing hemp in the UK? Okay, well, so yes. Uh, so uh, my name's Kitty. Um, I'm a textile artist. Uh, I think I've always been really passionate about uh, fabrics and fashion. And I studied uh, BA textile design at Chelsea College of Art, UAL. Um, I think... I was always really, really aware with um, how damaging the fashion industry is. So I think that was like a big part of me through uni. And it's really hard to like create um, new fabrics in a world that sometimes doesn't really need new fabrics. Um, so yeah, anyway, I, after I graduated, I was kind of looking for my next step and the next, next project. And it was actually over a glass of wine with Claire, I think. We just started talking about hemp and then we were like, shall we grow some hemp? And it's been, I think it's been always amazing for me as a weaver um, to like start with this thread and produce fabric. And now I've taken it like one step further, like, it's from a seed, you know, so it's really exciting for me in that way. It's that transparency, isn't it, that you're actually starting right at the very beginning. Like the whole, the whole, yeah, the whole, the whole, whole, uh, the the whole life cycle of this, um, of fabric, which is is super exciting. And Chelsea's really interesting background as well, because anyone listening knows that we're we're very much tied up with our charity partner, Cardi London, who have a Mm -hmm. partnership with Chelsea as well. So it's all it's wonderful to have these kind of connections. Um, so Claire, tell us about your background and what interested you in hemp? Well, my background actually is working with metal and minerals because in truth, I'm a jeweler, not a fiber person at all. But as Kitty said, it was really over a com- quite a brief conversation we had just about this time last year, actually. Um, Kitty said, Oh, I've always wanted to work with hemp. And I said, let's grow some. And then here we are just this really short amount of time later. We've grown it, we've harvested it, and we're in the process of, of processing it. So it's been a um, an incredible project. It, it's just rolled under its own 
under its own steam almost. We feel as if, yes, obviously we've instigated it, but then it, we're just almost running along behind it. It's got such a lot of legs. It's really interesting, isn't it? Because I think it's something that needed to be done. And yeah. you're not the only one, but you're the, the you're a key one. And like you say, it's such a short window since you had the idea. And I bet it was a Absolutely. bottle of wine, not a glass of wine. <laughs> but, I don't like to say that. <laughs> but it was, uh, it's just that idea came. Yeah. It, everyone went, yes, yes, because as soon as I got yeah. really excited living in Suffolk as you do, and then the hemp growing in Suffolk, it's just such a a fascinatingly exciting thing yeah um, it, it it came at a time in my life where I had some space you know I had just moved I hadn't really got into other projects and other sort of full-time work and so I was able to really it, you just go well this sounds like a good idea and just expand it without having to really worry too much and we, we were just lucky with everybody who who we approached it was just keen for us to, to yeah. do what we wanted to do the timing is absolutely right. Uh, and as yeah. you, you've told me this yourself, that hemp in the UK has an amazingly rich history. I mean, going back um, going back hundreds of years, hemp was the fibre that we grew in yeah. the UK. So tell us a bit about that. And why did we stop growing it? And why do you think now is the time to start again? Well, hemp has always been grown in the UK. This is the only century, in fact, which we haven't grown it. So what we're doing is is really tr- reviving something, not st- certainly not starting something new. Where we are in North Suffolk, um, there was what was called a great hemp belt from Eye to Beckles, where 8% of the entire UK's hemp production came from this really small wow. river valley. Absolutely extraordinary. So as well as being grown very commercially, it was also very much a cottage industry. So all the cottages, agricultural workers would grow their own little patch of hemp, process it, weave it within the cottages as extra income from themselves. And there are actually fossil, there are records of, um, so in my local town, Dis, there's a big mere in the middle or, or a big pond and they do these, uh, what do they call it? When you put down, a, take out a whole tube of sediment right. and they find, um, pollen from hemp right back to 1000 AD. Wow. All the way through from there. So the Anglo-Saxons grew it for their clothes, um, the medieval, uh, up to 1,000, the medieval times, it became really popular up to, yeah, I sort of rest, sorry, went to a talk recently where uh, a guy was talking about in the 10 and 1100s, there was a huge amount of hemp grown around here and they've got records of that. They even got records of people being prosecuted for retting hemp in public waters in those eras because, of course, that poisons the water. Mm. So, you know, there's there's lots of record of it going on and, in fact, the industry didn't really die out around here until the 1920s. So it's not even really 100 years ago. People were still making fine, fine linen, particularly in a village called North Lopham, which is not far from here, right up until 1925. Mm, it, is, it is amazing. And I know a lot, with again, with, think, with where does it come from, my work with Cardi London, we talk a lot about um, cotton farming, obviously cotton farming, especially in India and Africa and places like that. And again, it's that traditional cottage industry, letting mm. people stay living rurally rather than having to commute to towns, doing the mm-hmm. fabric processing in it very much to support other work through the year. Mm. It's, it's yeah. part of the cycle of life, isn't it? It, it is. However, I would say that, you know, one of the reasons, there are two main reasons that um, the growing of hemp and flax in this area actually died out was one, of course, was cheap cotton imports yeah. from India, cotton and jute, that instigated the Industrial Revolution in the north of the UK, where these terrible mills went up. But as well as that, 
it coincided with the Napoleonic Wars, and which pushed the price of wheat up. So obviously farmers want to grow whatever's most profitable. Mm. So they stopped growing hemp and started growing wheat. I mean, it's just parallels of where we are now. I mean, war and prices is what changes history. I was thinking the same thing. Economics. It's that economics as well. I mean, mm. and, and politics. So thinking about the India cotton situation, that was purely political, wasn't it? So basically yeah. Britain um, was controlling India and told them yep. they could not process their own cotton. All of the no. cotton would be exported to the UK. Yes. So that made problems for the Indian people who couldn't then um, grow their own cotton and had to buy expensive imports of cotton. Yeah. And of course, it's a problem for the, for the UK because it was great for the people who could own the mills. Yeah. Yeah. And then all of that. But all of the hemp growing in infrastructure died. So we're importing a crop to make fabric when we've got perfectly good crops to grow fabrics, just a load of old Which- we can do again. This is the whole point, isn't it? We're yeah. trying to take that cycle right back to where we can grow our own fibre crops here in the UK, which we are in the process of proving that we can do. Exactly. No, it's, it's absolutely amazing what you're both doing. And I, I think I, I love as well the fact that you've got the two of you as a, such an amazing team. So you've got um, Claire was obviously up there with it growing and then Kitty has this experience of textile mm. creation it's just a it's just a lovely a lovely team um yes, so great. We're, we're saying that now is a great time to start this again um and for me for me the reason I think it's a great time to start again is the whole you know sustainable fashion we need to do things more sustainably we need to be able to grow things more locally and cut down on mm. miles and everything I wonder if you had any thoughts about that both of you yeah, I think um, I think there's quite a lot of reasons why um, we should be growing hemp for textiles in the UK. Um, I, I think if pe- for people who don't know that much about hemp, um, I, hemp has actually got a really deep root system um, that can reach minerals that a lot of plants, most plants can't, um, which actually revives the soil. So um, we destroyed this the soil in this country from like chemicals and pesticides and all the other things. So um, growing this crop can actually help revive the soil. Um, when we first started doing this project, we thought that hemp was um, carbon neutral, but it's actually carbon positive. So actually, as a crop, it is one of the most sustainable crops to grow. And as we know, like the uh, textile and fashion industry can be so damaging. And so, but, but like through fashion, by growing this crop, um, we could be saving saving the soil and um, helping the planet. So I think that is a really good reason why we should be doing it. I think another important part of our project is is that people think that like fabric just exists and like cloth has kind of lost its value uh, a lot um, in the fashion industry due to like fast fashion and so many other things and the kind of like the throwaway society we live in. Um, So kind of educating people this whole process from field to fabric to fashion I think it's really interesting to for people to connect with fabrics and fashion again definitely definitely and funnily enough I was meeting with um Ipswich and Colchester Museum yesterday because they're doing a exhibition on this and both contemporary hempery and where does it come from are going to be in that um, exhibition which is opening on the 22nd of October and I think what was exciting talking to the um, curators yesterday they love that whole story they love the fact that we can say this hemp grew here or this cotton grew here and this is what happened to it and they and they're wanting people to come in there not so they can preach to them but so they can actually people will actually think oh oh i, I hadn't even thought about that i hadn't thought about where mm. something grew or how it was processed or any of those impacts yeah. so that again it makes you think it's the right time isn't it mm-hmm. certainly yeah yeah for sure 
so that's all the real positive stuff now i'm going to ask you some of the tricky things like so what other current barriers to growing hemp for fiber in the uk and why haven't people done it before well of course in order to grow industrial hemp in the uk which is the variety that we need for fiber you do have to get a license from the home office uh the most difficult thing about getting the license actually is mentally getting over the fact that you've got to get it because it seems so utterly absurd but once you've kind of climbed that mountain uh the actual process of applying for it i found really wasn't that difficult i had to be quite persistent the website crashes constantly whether that's on purpose or not i don't know so you know you have to be pretty persistent with phoning them and emailing them and talking to them they're very keen to know that nobody's going to see the hemp growing okay because you know, if anyone sees hemp growing in this country, the whole of society could break down <laughs> and no one will go to work. School system will break. Transport will come to a, a halt and no one will pay the taxes and the whole thing will collapse. So we have to make sure that uh, there aren't footpaths crossing your land or not on next to a main road. Luckily for us, the place where we're growing ticked all those boxes. Also, they're very, very, very keen to know what will you do with the flowers and the seeds because those are the bits that people might make CBD oil from, and they don't want you to do that. So um, because we're growing in this beautiful um, agroforestry site, everything that grows there remains there if it's not being used. So we're composting all those other pieces um, and leaving them on the land. So I was able to explain that to them. And they, they once they got those two things down, that it wasn't going to be seen, and they knew what we were going to do with the, with the um, excess pieces, Actually, the rest of the process was pretty simple and it, it came through quite easily. Well, that's good. That, that's yeah. I mean, it's interesting that they don't want anyone to see it because I suppose they, they're imagining if it's by the side of a road, a car's going to draw up and everyone's going to get out and get stoned. And, they and think it's marijuana, up. yeah. But, of course, yeah. this variety that we're growing up, that you, in order to grow, get the licence, you have to tell them which variety you're getting, where you're getting it from. And so all these industrial hemp varieties do not have any THC in them. So you can smoke it all you like. Yeah, it's got, get, it's got to be. just get a sore think, throat. Yeah, for it to be legal in this country um, with a license, it's got to be 0.3% THC. Um, so you could literally smoke a whole acre if you want and nothing is going to happen to you. Like, you cannot imagine, get high from it. Can you imagine all these people having a big party going, oh, this is great, I feel so good. And everything yeah. Else. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, the other the other thing that it was been said by the government is they were worried that people would plant industrial hemp that other people might go into the field and plant some you know um, plants that did have THC. I find that a completely erroneous argument. I mean, it's absurd. I think if you speak to the police or to the Home Office, you'll find that there's huge amounts of of marijuana being consumed in this country. Yeah. Lots of it's being grown in this country, and you know. Um, these kind of houses where people have got the hydroponic systems going in attics and so on. Otherwise, it must be pouring in through our ports. So the thought that we wouldn't grow industrial hemp just in case somebody put, might put one or two plants in the middle of the field, I'm afraid that doesn't really wash with me. Yeah, and also as growers, um, it, you're going to notice if something like that changes as well, aren't you? You're going to notice. Well, there, there's a that, and also in order to get good fibre, which is what our project is all about, and what anyone growing fibre, we would be cutting the plants before they flower anyway. Mm. So if you went into the field, you had one in there, planted some high THC plants, come back two months later, you'd find a big cut down anyway. So, you know, it would be a little bit of a wasted time all round. Yeah. So basically, it's, um, it's, it's strange. I did notice last week that the, some of the government are trying to push 
marijuana cannabis up to be a grade a drug aren't they make it even more illegal yeah make it more stringent on that yeah i think there are possibly other reasons for that as well i mean obviously if you if you are able to get the license to grow the high thc plant the profits are just un- absolutely astronomical mm. and in fact you know in the uk we do grow a huge amount of medical marijuana it's all yeah i read a fact the other day that the uk is the biggest seller for thc cannabis yeah. for medicinal users so that's pretty mental to think that we're, it is grown here in the UK. Which is, yeah, yeah. And but we, we, we can't use it. It can only yeah, be exported. It. It will be exported. Yeah. Very bizarre. Yeah. I think it's a good um, a good time to do a shout out to Wakelands as well, because I know... Yes. Yeah! Wakelands! They're amazing. So if anyone from Wakelands, it's up in North Suffolk, organic eco-agriculture farm. It's an amazing place to visit. So I recommend people go and visit if they can. Yes, anyway, and it, it's also, I want to say about Wakelands is that it really is an experimental place and that um, David Wolf, who manages, owns and manages the farm, he is interested to encourage new projects and to get people to, to grow new and different crops there. For instance, I've got to give you this for instance, they were the first people to grow um, lentils oh. in Suffolk and having proved that it worked, there are now 12 different farms in this region that grow lentils. So that is where he's at. He's a really amazing man. Amazing. And he's just got a great outlook and encouraging new projects. That's that's amazing. No, I, lo- I loved it being up there. You felt like you were sort of stepping back in time and forward in time. Yes, time, if that makes sense. Yes, that's a really good description. It just came. Yeah, from, is exactly how it felt. I mean, I think you and I would discuss Claire when when we were up there. It's the number of insects and things that are around. Absolutely. You just, feel it, don't you? You feel yeah, the, yeah, the, the weight of life. Yeah. Yeah. It's live, yeah. isn't it? It's, it's alive. It's alive. Like, oh, bloody hell, mm-hmm. insects. But actually, it was it was a wonderful feeling. It took yeah. me back to childhood, in a way, having all Yes, yeah. absolutely. Insects it's, it's, just, it's just proof that that system, uh, that system does work so well. Like, we, don't, we don't need all these other things. Like, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's funny enough, I did it the last podcast that I did at the end of the last series um so just before the summer I was with an actor called Paul Baisley and Asher, oh yes Asher who is um uh, Asher Bush who's one of our cardi spinners um and we were just talking about the whole um journey from the land and Paul who is a very keen um uh, pacifist and Gandayan he was talking about um turning things on their heads so that we revere the connection to the land rather than the opposite which is now to distance ourselves away mm. from anything to do with the land mm. really like just like you two are doing getting your hands dirty being in there with the soil and creating mm-hmm. things like that as opposed to currently we our kind of commercial society is, is all around let's let's not tell people about the land let's not talk about the dirt let's make it all mm. about flashy things in a packet yeah, yeah. it's the same with the food production yeah. isn't it yeah, you know very much let's yeah. get something in a packet or wrapped in plastic whether it's meat or vegetables in the supermarket and you don't feel that connection to where it's actually come from yeah it's just it's like it's just so far away from that now that to the point where people might not even make the connection that this the fabric they've got came from a plant or it, mm. how, how if it's knitted if it's woven just just exists that's training you know we've been trained by advertising by education to you don't need to think about that you can buy that because that if you haven't got that connection then you don't care if you throw it away you know you don't care yeah. if you, waste it. you don't care mm. what you, spend. you know you buy something cheap you don't value it you throw it away whereas if you've got those connections then that, mm. that deeper 
feeling and you're not going to want to just chuck it away you're going to love it you know you wait when you've got yeah. stuff you know i'm, I'm going to be there buying your hemp and go oh i'm wearing suffolk hemp it's so cool. yeah. <laughs> can't wait we can't wait to wear it ourselves <laughs> um so the next question i was going to ask you because uh i've obviously I first got in touch with you guys sort of earlier when you were planting. I think I went out there when Claire was actually doing the planting stage. And it's been so fast, hasn't it? It seemed to grow monumentally over the summer. And if you think about how hot this summer was as well, uh, it, it seems to have been hugely yeah. successful. So can you tell yeah. us a little bit about right from the beginning, um, from the glass of wine all the way through to having what you have now? Yeah, yeah. so um, it was... So we, yeah, so I think we did, we did do two sewings. We did one sewing at the end of May. Um, and then we did another sewing. It was the 7th of June, I think it was. Um, and it, it was just amazing to, to watch this, this crop grow. It, it grew so quickly. Um, we didn't, even in the extreme weather we had this year, it grew 2.6 centimeters a day. We didn't water it. We didn't do anything to it. We've had really extreme heat, and it yeah, it just it grew grew beautifully. How many days was it, Claire, in the end that it till we harvested um, it? The old this oldest one was um was... 80, 84 days, I think it was. Eighty four days. So yeah, the other one was like uh about sixteen days younger than that. So in yeah. fact, the the both sowings. Well, the second sowing caught up with the first sowing. It was a little bit behind on the on the developing flowers, but it was mm. pretty much the same height. And as Kitty said, we didn't water it. We didn't need to fertilise it. Had no pesticide. It just grew. It was absolutely it phenomenal. It grew, grew. And it was amazing. We could walk down the middle of it in the sunshine and it felt like a, it was like a full hemp jungle. You get <laughs> lost in there. It was, such a, it was such a magical experience and the smell yeah. and... The insects loved it, but didn't get any cause any harm to it. Like, yeah, it, it was it was a really a really really fun few months actually seeing that that plant grow. Anyone um anyone who's listening, if you go to the Contemporary Hempery Instagram account, there's videos mm. and photos showing all of this. Yeah, <laughs> it was a phenomenon. I mean, I would try to go up there once a week because it's only a couple of miles for me, and with my little tape and measure it. And every week I get there and go, oh my god. I can't believe it until it got to the point where, you know, I was, I was trying to get my tape up like this because it was all six foot. Some of those real bandit plants were like eight foot tall. Oh, my goodness. And they had done that in 84 days. It's crazy. So what did Absolutely you do? Absolutely phenomenal. Why did you decide to, you know, when was it time to cut it and what did you do with it then? So for the... um we so our aim of our project is we want to produce high quality soft fine fiber um so we researched this and we found out that to get this fiber you need to cut it just before it flowers so as we started to see it flower um we did a harvesting day which was super super fun we had loads of friends and family and volunteers come up the sun was shining and we had like we had a reciprocal cutter which is kind of like a um, a lawnmower with blades on the front to cut it down and yeah we just have it was actually it was it was as much as a fun day it was that was actually really sad to cut this <laughs> magical bowers yeah. down but but yeah that's what that's when we harvested it yeah what well, we definitely learned that the, you don't want to let it flower at all if you can avoid it cut it before it flowers we've yeah. experimented with you know the processing and definitely the the younger um plants were just marginally softer so you've got these big stalks then. What happens after that? 
So we left them to dry because um, it's important to let them dry before wetting. Um, and we experimented with both dew wetting and water wetting. So to see what the difference was, because this year for us was all about experimentation. We had no idea what we were going to get. Uh, there's not a lot of research out there. So we're like, let's just do it ourselves and research it that way. Um, and also it was interesting because all the people who are doing similar things with flax in the UK, um, like a similar movement with flax, every single one of them seemed to be dew wetting. I didn't haven't so far come across anyone who's water wetting. But I did hear that you get two very different um, colours with that. And you did with the water wetting. We found that we got a lot lighter um, fibre compared to the dew wetting. Can you explain um, the difference been... between the two, just for case people Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, dew is where you leave it on the field. Um, it's meant to take up to six weeks where you, you're meant to turn it. So the dew um, wrecks the outside, which is basically decomposing the fibres. So when you process them, they become loose. Um, and water retting, we built like a DIY sort of pond because... But the problem with water wetting is it can, you're not meant to put it in ponds or rivers or anything like that because it can poison the water and poison the, the marine life. Um, so it was really important that we didn't do that. So we built like a DIY pond that we can take to pieces again. Um, and yeah, and compacted all the, the hemp stems in and it started to ret in five days. Okay. It, that was all. Um, and yeah, we find that method we got beautiful beautiful golden fiber from doing the water wetting so i think we are going to do more water wetting next year yeah oh, but claire, claire did tell me that was a bit smelly oh yeah it was a bit smelly it's actually <laughs> it's right. we don't mind smelling a bit <laughs> the um it because we only left in there for five six days actually the water wasn't too bad at that point and it smelled like you know if you leave a vase of flowers and you yeah. just leave them in there that's yeah. so it's that kind of rotting stink but so we took the um, stalks out and left them to dry again, but we didn't empty the pond uh, and we just left it there. And by now, yeah. I can tell you that has got a proper hang <laughs> on it. Really, really stings. So <laughs> I'm kind of leaving David to uh, yeah. get his pump and sort that out. <laughs> so anyway, once we'd got that uh, out there, we dried it all again and we had made these sort of A-frames and dried it all in the sun. And then um, we had to actually make the tools that we needed. Luckily, Kitty's father and her grandfather stepped up and made these some fantastic breakers so the so yeah, it's a three, three step yeah, really great yeah. so it's, it's, <laughs> a, it's a three-step process first of all you have to use this big heavy kind of bashing machine well tool where you put the stalks under and bash the lid down on it and just to break up that inner core which is called the shiv that's a hard woody core the fibers we want are on the outside mm-hmm. Once you've done that, bashed it through two different sizes of breakers to make it finer and finer. Then the next process is called scrutching, where you've got a, just a plank of wood, basically you hold the fiber in one hand and you hit it with a big stick on the other. It's a really basic process. You're hitting it with a stick and that removes all the last bits of shiv that are, that are stuck in and kind of smooths it. I think with plant fibers, the more you hit it, the better. And then you'll end up with this big bushy amount of um, fibers and then we have to pull it through uh, what are called heckling combs, which are made out of horseshoe nails and bits of a look like medieval torture uh, tools, actually, pretty evil looking. <laughs> they just pulled it through that, pulled it through that until, you know, you end up with this golden, beautiful fibre. Oh. It was a, really great, actually, to see it, to see it emerge. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be amazing. So the next stage is? 
spinning <laughs> so um yeah so we're gonna hopefully we haven't got a date for this yet but we're gonna have another event day where we're gonna get those spinners hopefully from all over the place with different backgrounds and different methods and come and spin and share different techniques which will be good um and me and Claire are going to learn to spin as well because that's the only bit I'm not fully confident with yet so I want to be able to do like the whole entire process that's the last bit for me I need to need to learn which is really cool um yeah and then it will go on to after we've got some yarn I'm going to explore with natural dyes and producing some samples how wonderful and and how much do you think you I know it's really difficult to say but how much fabric do you think you'll actually get this this is a question I keep it's getting so asked and I and I cannot I cannot answer it yet for me as well I think till it's spun into yarn I can't visualize uh, how much fabric I can produce and yeah this is a, it's really annoying me actually now because I've been asked like this question so well, many times, so many times. Know, but yeah. this is the this is the one we're yet to to work yeah. out I mean we we weighed the um stalks that we're going to process on the processing day and then we know how much fiber we've got out of it but we think we wasted quite a lot you know we could but next year we will do it slightly differently yeah learning we didn't quite yeah. finish that amount on the day and it's it is incredibly difficult to get good data on that i mean we're going to have some kind of rough figures but uh, we really can't be very accurate and as kitty says until she's spun it it's been spun mm. there's no way of knowing how much no. we can actually no, what fabric can... we can make this is a good a good time to shout out the Festival of Natural Fibres this weekend. Yes. Where we'll all be. Um, and we're going to get some of our resident spinners, Asha and Saumya and some of the others, to actually have a go at spinning this hemp and see. Great. That's so exciting. To learn how to spin as well. Aren't you? So yeah. Really excited. Good. So if anyone is interested in coming along, it's this coming Saturday and Sunday, the 8th and 9th of October. Sorry if you're listening to this afterwards, you missed it. But there's um, you can find out what we've got up to. Um, it's in central London. Well, it's in Docklands, London Docklands. So it'd be great if you could come along and join us. But there'll be we try and do it annually. So you can come along next year if you've missed this year. Um, so that's all really exciting. I'm very excited about all this. And I can't wait to have a look at it and see what it's going to come out like as fabric. Um, I know that uh, there's been a huge amount of interest in your project and someone has actually approached you and you started making a movie. So how did that come about and what's happening there? Um, yeah, so this was when we first started the project, we were like, oh, my God, we need to make a documentary on this. Like, it's really cool what we're doing. Like, we would love to have this documentary on film. Um, just kind of thinking, find a filmmaker who wants to do something, maybe put it on YouTube or something like that. And I have quite a few friends who work in the film industry at the moment. And one of my really good friends was away on a job. And she was speaking to the film director at the time, Ed, incredible, incredible human being, um, and was just basically explaining my project. And he was really, really passionate about hemp. And I got in contact with him, like thinking maybe he would like put someone his intern or someone lower down, maybe <laughs> wanting to see the film. And he was like, no, I want to do this film. Let's make, we're going to make a, um, a documentary, make the series. And yeah, he's just been amazing. We couldn't be a more of a perfect human to work with as well. He's, he's incredible. So, so the, the, is to make a six episode um series um obviously the the like the whole the whole thing will be about our story and our project from field to fabric to fashion but each episode we're going to dedicate it to something else as well because hemp can do everything right so we're going to do it to the medicinal sides the construction sides um and yeah so and give everyone else sort of a platform for the amazing hemp work they're doing in the uk as well brilliant and it's, it's such a great way of again sharing that story and letting people understand what's going on and um you know 
I think raising raising awareness of hemp and its history. So it's it's a brilliant. Mm-hmm. So do you know when that'll be ready? Do we sign up for that now? <laughs> well, uh, we've just got we've got this year's um, footage together, um, and then we're going to send off a deck in the next few months and see what happens with it. So w- watch our space. <laughs> yeah, no, there's so much interest in sustainability and yeah. uh, regenerative fashion and that kind of thing. So I think it could be great to see it on you know the BBC or somewhere like that. It'd be really amazing, wouldn't it? Yes, it would. Yeah. <laughs> I get your autographs now. These ladies are really um, Okay, so the next question is, what is next? And are you going to do it all again next year? Oh, yes, yeah, we definitely. are. 100%. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. I think we, we've learned a lot this year about, you know, obviously the whole thing is about experimenting with the, with the growing and the processing. So we've learned a lot and we're definitely going to do it again next year. I'm really hoping that we'll be able to do a little bit more. We've only did one alley, so it's about 0.7 an acre this year. We'd like to do more. But, of course, unless we can get some kind of mechanical processing going, there's no way we can hand break, scratch and heckle much much more than that. Uh, you know, we just yeah. we wouldn't have the time and the manpower. So that really what we need to do from next between now and then is either find some investment or find a way of getting some mechanical processing. That is the thing that's missing in this country. Mm. We know we can grow it. We know we could sell the final product. That's that's not a problem. There's this central part of mechanization that's been completely disappeared. Yes. And that's, that's what someone, the government maybe, or someone needs to come in with some money and get that sorted out. Um, and yeah. then we could be growing away, no problem at all. And as well as growing for our own fiber, we were actually were approached by... Um, material cultures who are uh, uh, architects and run the master's degree at, at Central because they want to come up to Wakelands and um, grow a little house as part of their master's project. So if we can uh, grow more, then this is a perfect collaboration. We take the fibre, they get the shear, which is the bit that you need for the um, architectural products. And then we're not wasting any of it. We don't want to waste yeah. it. That's, working you know, in, yeah. working so in tandem. Yeah, so this year would be like our co-product. So yeah, exactly. we're just collaborating, and none of the, none of this plant's going to go to waste. But that's what you want, isn't it? You just want you want don't want yes. waste at all. Yeah. You're going back to the mechanisation, Claire. I meant to say that mm. earlier because I remember one many years ago, one of the festivals of fibres, talking to a chap who runs um, Bish, which is a, a company up north that um, makes fabrics out of hemp and organic cotton mixed together, and mm. they import currently the hemp and I remember him saying one of the real barriers to to having any kind of hemp production in the UK is the mechanization yeah all of the machines that exist for cotton don't work with hemp right it isn't anywhere in the UK Mm. currently that has yeah I mean we wondered if any of the linen mills would get involved but we contacted a couple but they didn't seem to be in the least bit interested but you know maybe time will come we're going up to a meeting in November at Harrison Spinks a special interest group for hemp fiber growers so you know, there's stuff happening. I feel yeah. as a groundswell, and that's going to make change. Yeah, yeah I, I do. I, I do really think by next year as well that we will have a mill that, even on a small scale, will spin some hemp uh, in a mill for us professionally spun. So I really do. Things are moving. Things are happening, and I really do think that's going yeah. to be an option for next year. I think you're right to be optimistic because I think there's been so much interest, and we know that one of the barriers um, is is this mechanisation. 
if mm. there's some kind of investment into that, then that's something that's giving an opportunity for other people to apply their minds to it and solve mm. the problem. You know, they've got the they're given the investment and the opportunity. That's something that mm. can definitely happen and fairly quickly. I, I have actually heard you, um, Jono, a girl called Rosie Bristow. Yeah. I understand that she is currently um, working with some master's students, engineering students, to uh, create some, I don't know whether it's uh, braking or spinning or what it is, but she's getting involved with making making machines to make the system work better. So it is on the way. I'm not sure she's coming at the weekend. Um, Certainly there'll be people that will know a bit more about that that will be there at the Festival of Natural Fibers mm. on the weekend. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's just an obvious thing, isn't it? It's the next yeah. stage getting engineering involved and, and sure. learning how to to build that. So, yeah, I think Kitty's right to be, both of you are right to be optimistic that next mm. year um, we'll, mm. we'll bring a new thing, which is very exciting. Yeah. Okay, I, I reckon that anyone who's listened as far as this will be dying to know how they can find it. <laughs> more about you so do you want to tell us a little bit more about how people can get in touch with you or read about you or any of those things um so at the moment we're just having our website sorted out so hopefully in the next few weeks um that will that will be up and running uh but at for the moment best to our instagram is at contemporary hempery or if you want to get in touch you can email us at hello at contemporary um and yeah our website should be up and running in the next few weeks so and what are you, who are you, who would you like to contact you? Anyone who's interested. <laughs> people anyone. Yeah, people with lots of money that want to invest in machinery yeah, yeah, and people who are really experienced in spinning plant fibres. Yes, because we're going to have a spinning workshop soon and that'll be really good to have lots of spinners there. So. Great. No, it's, it's amazing. I'm, I'm really excited by your journey, as you know, and it's going to be, a, it's going to be a really good one and it's going to be lovely to see how much fabric that you get and what can be done with this year's fabric and even if it's just show pieces i'm thinking of alan mm. brown the wonderful alan brown with his uh, the wonderful yeah hetero couture exactly mm-hmm. couture so he's made this dress and then you've got a statement piece then that you can say yeah. this is what could be done it works well. it really mm-hmm. works yeah exactly. so mm-hmm. at the very least that but hopefully much more than that hopefully. yeah yeah I mean, that is part of our thing is like, you know, we do want to challenge the government about the licensing laws, yeah. but not by being activists in a way of really, you know, we're not trying to challenge in doing something illegal. Our challenge is actually doing it. Let's just do it. Let's prove that mm. it can be done, that it makes sense, that it can be economical, it can be regenerative and it can make beautiful fabric. That's our rebellion, really, just yeah, I think, to, I think... to prove it, prove it works. Yeah, for sure. I think like another really important part of our project as well is like, I think a lot of sustainable fabrics and hemp fabrics, they, um, people a lot of time just think it's like brown sort of sack clothes, yeah. uh, hippies sat in fields, making splits, like that kind of vibe. And we really want to pull it away from that a little bit. And, mm. um, I live and breathe color. I want it to be so colorful and it's be exciting. I want it to be fashionable. And we want to kind of like, produce something so beautiful in the end that we've already got people's attention from how beautiful and desirable these clothing are and then be like do you know what actually this is made from hemp and kind of educate them through yeah through that yeah, way it's, it's about it. elevating this fiber into a completely different arena um from where it is now as kitty said you know tend to the hemp clothing you can get tends to be quite boring really you know maybe just black or it's just beige and it might be an oversized shirt or a pair of dungarees or something we want to make something really extraordinarily beautiful fabric that you really really want 
Mm. I think I think what you're saying is not just hemp. It is hemp, but it's also sustainable fashion generally. And that's a, yeah. a again a backwash of people trying to say you don't want this sustainable stuff. It's dull and boring and mm. hangs loosely. What you want is mm. this lovely polyester fabric which is stretchy, mm. and washes easily, and we can just chuck it away and forget about that. Mm. But the, the beauty of, of natural cloth is mm. just completely different you know those of us yes. who know about it we we're in love yes. with the natural cloth yes we want, we want to share our passion i guess yeah it's a totally people. different thing isn't it totally different thing and i when we are seeing with with more traditional sustainable fashion using um organic cotton and rain-fed cotton there have been mm. some amazing designs now involved with that but it's getting the right designers involved getting celebrities yeah. to wear it and say look i'm wearing this thing and it's amazing and and then it starts to turn the tide of thought but it's conditioning it's all down to conditioning mm. um, i'm very much i'm very much believing in you know economic systems marketing systems that condition people in their mm. criticism of what course, you're saying yeah. is rebellion but it's not a rebellion. We're not gluing ourselves to anything. It's it's exactly. leading by example, isn't it? Exactly. It's just the proof in the pudding. That, you know, this can be done and we can make this beautiful product. So come on, let's all do it. Yeah, exactly. Let's all do it. Let's all wear it. And then the world will be a better place and we'll all be happy. And that's a great place to end it on. So I just want to say thank you so much, ladies, for um Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, Joe. Well thanks not just for the podcast, Joe, but for your interest and your encouragement and uh your big support of our projects. Much appreciated. Thank you. Been a, it's been a pleasure and i absolutely love the idea of contemporary hempery and i hope you grow and grow and grow and i'll enjoy being thank you thank you for listening to the where does it come from podcast you can find out more about the work we do creating planet-friendly fair trade textiles and clothing that comes with its story on our website at where does it come from.co.uk